When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I shouldn't have married Susan. I knew that on my wedding day. Hell, I knew that before my wedding day. Susan was basically a carbon copy of my mom. And I knew all about that old saying that people have of, Oh, you know, as men get older, they tend to marry their mothers. Well, no, I didn't want to marry my mom. My mom was batshit crazy, and I certainly didn't want any of that. So I shouldn't have gotten married. I should have ran away as fast as I could, as far away as I could. The problem? I didn't. And there were a number of reasons for that. Now, I could be flippant if I wanted to. I could say, well, you know, it was the little head doing the thinking for the big head. The sex was great, and she was all about getting it on. The truth, though? No. The truth was, I guess on some level, I sensed I was finally getting away if I married Susan. And, of course, I am my father's son. Marry somebody and hope for the best. Surely it will work out. Yeah. Yeah, I can be a fucking idiot. We moved the same day we got married. I had rented an apartment in Lexington, Kentucky, so we could both go to school there. Before that, I'd been driving 120 miles each way on the weekends and working at Lexmark so that hopefully we could have enough money to get married. And here's the other thing. I had faked a car accident to get the money to get married as well. We got to Lexington, and again, I'm that guy that it's all about buying love. It's never been enough for me to show someone I love them simply by telling them I love them or showing it through the relationship. I have to prove it. Prove it by giving them expensive crap. Proving it by doing every single possible thing I can in the household. So here I am. I told Susan, oh, don't worry. You don't have to get a job. You just focus on going to school. No, 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 sweetheart. I'll do all the cooking and cleaning. So of course, here I am with 18 hours of classes, a 40-hour-a-week job, doing all the cooking, cleaning, everything else, something had to give. Needless to say, the Lexmark job ends, and I end up with a job working over at the J. Peterman Company. Now, if you've ever watched Seinfeld, you know about J. Peterman. Elaine worked for him. It was this catalog company, sold a variety of unique clothing and items at really high prices. I was hired to work as a customer service rep there, 40 hours a week, overtime available whenever I wanted it. A damn sweet job. I could study while I worked. And the people there, they loved me. I was one of their top reps within the first couple of weeks. And believe you me, they needed reps because what was going on, they didn't have actual pictures of the items they were selling. They had these stylized romantic drawings. And they would charge maybe four or five times what the item was actually worth. So when the people received the items and they didn't look anything like what they thought they, would, they were buying, of course they would call customer service complaining. <laughs> And you would have to have good customer service reps there to calm the people down. You'd usually give them a, a crap load of free merchandise, and they would go away happy to come back again because they knew they could always get free merchandise. The problem came in that Jay Peterman had worked a deal with Universal Studios to be the sole marketer of all the Titanic movie memorabilia and merchandise. That's right. You remember James Cameron, Titanic? 
Rose and Jack, they're sitting there on that raft after the boat has sank, and Rose is like, oh, I'll never let you go, Jack. And then she lets him go and he drowns. Yeah, that movie. Jay Peterman handled all, and I mean all, of the memorabilia and merchandise from that film. And boy, was there a demand for that crap. I had just found eBay, quickly found out that people were on there selling that, all that Titanic stuff for huge, huge profits. You could buy a $95 life jacket from Jay Peterman, sell it on eBay, $300. Those dining room plates you see in the movie that are crashing to the floor, the ones that didn't get broken, Jay Peterman sold those for $195 a piece. You could sell them north of $400 a piece on eBay. And there was a ton of people wanting them. Problem was, there was very little merchandise available. And there was a very, very long waiting list. I, yes me, I quickly found out that I could alter the waiting list and put whoever I wanted to in line for upcoming items. For example, I could put me first for anything that came in. I could just cancel somebody else's order, put my name at the top of the queue, get the items. And I knew exactly when those items were incoming. Not being one to pass up the opportunity, I started selling Titanic merchandise on eBay. I figured no one was getting ripped off. I was just taking advantage of a situation. It took two months until I got that knock on the door early one morning. I opened the door, found two Fayette County police officers standing there. Now, I don't care. I don't care whether you're breaking the law or not. You hear a knock on the door and open it to find a cop standing there, it tightens your asshole. I looked at the cops, looked over at the plain clothes. Yes, sir, how can I help you? And here's the thing. The uniformed cop is really the only guy that talks during the entire conversation. I looked at him. Yes, sir, how can I help you? Say, uh, you mind if we come in? We'd like to ask you a few questions. Well, now, here's the thing. You can't close the door in the face of a cop. Besides, it's always better to try to figure out what they want. So I looked at him. Yes, sir, absolutely. Come on in. How can I help you? I stand to the side. They walk on in. I'm Sergeant Pat Tingle. This here is uh, Detective Combs. Yes, sir, what can I help you about? Look, uh, you selling anything on eBay? Am I selling anything on eBay, I think? Yes, I am. Nothing wrong with that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm selling uh, Titanic stuff on eBay. You're selling Titanic stuff on eBay. Absolutely. I've got plates, life jackets, a little bit of other crap listed right now. Alrighty. So, uh, you mind if I ask you how you getting that stuff? What do you mean, how am I getting that stuff? Look, we got a call from a worried bidder that you're scamming people. He said that you had several items. In fact, we looked. You've got more Titanic items listed than any other seller right now. Now, he didn't think you actually had anything to sell, so we're here to ask you. You just taking people's money? <laughs> oh, no, 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 sir. I got you. I got you. No, I've got the items. N not a problem there. Now, here's the thing. Neither one of them thought that that was funny at all. Tingle looks at me. That was his name, Sergeant Pat Tingle. He looks at me. You mind uh, how many, just how do you have that many Titanic items? Oh, oh, <laughs> I work for Jay Peterman. You work for Jay Peterman? Yeah, yeah, I buy the items as they're coming in. I see exactly when they're due. I can buy them before anyone else has a chance. Not ripping off a single person. I have all the items in the back. You work for Jay Peterman. Yes, yes, I work for Jay Peterman. Let me, let me ask you something, Mr. Johnson. Anyone at that company know you're doing this? <laughs> no, no one knows I'm doing it, but you know what? It's not against the rules. 
no, no, Mr. Johnson, it's not against the rules. They were just, uh, they were just worried that somebody over there was breaking in the warehouse, uh, you know, stealing shit. No, <laughs> no, sir, no, no one's stealing anything. I'm buying all the stuff and reselling it, that's all. At this point, finally, that plainclothes detective speaks up, looks over at Tingle. You know, it's a fucking waste of time. Let's get out of here. Tingle looks at me. All right, Mr. Johnson, sorry to bother you. Hey, you know, guys, it's no bother at all. You all have a nice day. Take care. Here's the thing. It really was a bother, though. It might not have been illegal or against the J. Peterman rules, but they damn sure frowned on it. I went to work that afternoon and was immediately called into Audrey Peterman's office. I sat down across from Audrey. She had the director of customer service there as well. Audrey looks over at me. Brett, we are letting you go today. I'm sitting there like, letting me go? That's correct. We'll need your employee badge. Now at this point, I'm like, what the fuck? I looked over at Audrey, looked at the director. Do you mind if I ask why you're firing me? And at that point, the director looks at me. We just don't need you any longer. Your position has been phased out. I'm like, phased out? But, but I thought I was doing a good job. You know, Brett, I, I, I'm afraid not. Um, you know, and here's the thing. You've not really worked for us for any length of time. Probably best if you don't put us down for a reference as well. I was let out of the building and locked out. I went to the car, sat down. No idea what the hell I was going to do now. the anglerfish podcast where we visit the darkest corners of our online lives i'm your host brett johnson the united states secret service called me the original internet godfather now what does it take to get a title like that 39 felonies a place on the united states most wanted list an escape from prison and i built the first organized cybercrime community shadow crew Shadow Crew was a precursor to today's darknet and darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels still operate today. This first season of the Anglerfish podcast tells of my rise and fall as the world's first internet godfather. It's a fascinating story. You'll learn how cybercriminals think, how modern cybercrime came into being, and why it's so successful and hard to stop, and how I was able to turn from a life of crime to one of using the knowledge I acquired as a criminal to help protect others against the type of person I used to be. Yeah, you know, you said that, Kim, but I, I honestly don't remember how we met. I know that uh, we bought the house, Michelle and I bought the house next door, and the real estate agent had told us that uh, you lived next door and that you were a great neighbor, you, you head of the neighborhood watch and everything else like that. But I don't remember how we met, and I certainly don't remember how I told you about my website or some of my history or anything. Well, it, you were standing on your deck, which is uh, <laughs> raised up uh, from our sloping backyards. Right. And I was standing against uh, up against the fence. Okay. Uh, and I yelled up at you, and, and I said, are you my new neighbor? <laughs> and you came down, shook hands with me, crossed the fence. That was it. I kind of remember that now. <laughs> so do you remember how I mentioned the website I had or any, or any of my background or anything like that? Uh, you didn't mention your background right offhand. Okay. I, okay. You, you didn't. 
mention your past. Uh, <laughs> That's a way to put it, my yeah, past. Yeah. So um, I, you told me about your website, anglerfish.com. Right. And you said, uh, look it up. <laughs> and I did. I, all I did was, you know, I logged into Anglerfish, of course, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H. Right. Uh, I had to Google it a couple of times to, to get the pH, uh, the pH catch for right. for fish, but I didn't go any farther than just pulling up the homepage. Said, "Yeah, that looks cool." Okay, so he he uh, helps people with uh, thwarting uh, cybercrime. Well, I, I know. Uh, yeah, you saw yeah. that, but you also saw the most wanted stuff. So, what did you think when you saw your neighbor was most wanted? I did not see that. You didn't see that. I did not see that. <laughs> um, and and then when I finally recognized it, I thought, oh. Well, that's a nice little gimmick, <laughs> yeah, oh, you know. Oh. So, but it, still, I was thinking it was a gimmick, and then I got to really thinking about it. And I said, "Ah, this guy's got a past. He's a good guy. Okay, maybe." <laughs> yeah, this guy's got a past. Yeah. So uh, it was actually Michelle, your wife, who told okay. me uh, to ask you about some of the some of the stories. <laughs> Well, there are a lot of stories, and you've been editing this this Anglerfish podcast. You edited the online broadcast for us as well. That's right. So you've uh, got to hear a lot of these stories doing all this. And I've enjoyed it. I uh, got got to learn a lot about you, and uh, we became fast friends. We uh, did. We did. You know. Um, and by the way, I'm Ken Allen. I'm the next door neighbor of Brett Johnson and Michelle. And, and he's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell too many people. That. Okay. We, we don't want to give away any secrets. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm curious about a few things. Yeah. And you said you were married before, right? I was. Um, so, so you've been editing the, this Anglerfish podcast and, you know, I brought uh, my sister Denise in to talk about childhood, so you, you've already heard all the childhood stuff. Right. But what happened was, is I was 24. My first girlfriend I got when I was 19, and uh, I was with her for five years. Late then, bloomer. Late bloomer. And Virgin until 19 as well, so yeah, late bloomer. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was with, uh, Christy was her name. I was with her. She was a preacher's daughter, and uh, I was with her for five years got engaged to her and everything else. And what happened was, is I was never a, a big believer in God. Her dad had told me, hey, if you're going to visit my daughter, if you're going to date my daughter, you're going to church. And her dad was the preacher. So I was there every Sunday, of course, but was never a believer, and they all knew it. So she got tired of that. It took her five years to get tired of that, realized I wasn't about to convert, and breaks up with me. And I'm married six months after that to another woman. And uh, who I was married to, this uh, I was at uh, a community college in Hazard, Kentucky, and I had uh, <laughs> I had placed an ad on the billboards outside the uh, in the halls and everything, and the ad said, you know, looking for an, uh, for a babysitter for a 24 year old adult male, <laughs> prefer blonde, big bosom, thick thighs, inquire inside the library. <laughs> And, of course, I wasn't getting any hits on that as, at all. But one day, one of my buddies walks up to me, and he was like, Hey, Brett. And I'm like, Yeah, man. He's like, Man, the, the best-looking woman in the entire college is right outside in the hall. And I'm like, What? And he's like, Best one, man. I'm like, Dude, you're out of your mind. But we get up. We walk out there. 
and this girl named Susan, she's out there, and she's talking to these two guys, or rather these two guys are talking to her, trying to pick her up, right? And so I'm standing there, and I'm just kind of listening to it, you know, and they're, they're giving her best lines and everything else, they're, they're both fighting against each other, trying to get her attention. So I sit there about, stand there about five minutes, and finally I look at her, and I was, I was like, hey, uh, can I ask you something? And she's like, yeah, and I was like, uh, you want to get away from these idiots here? And uh, when I said that, the guys, they stopped, they looked at me, and they, they were like, what did you say? And I looked at them, I said, uh, I asked her if she would like to get away from you idiots. <laughs> and, uh, she looks at me, she's like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we started dating at that point, and um, it was a nightmare, dude. I mean, I was, uh, I'm the guy that I always look for love. I, I, I'm 49 now. I believe in true love still. And uh, almost every relationship I ha I've had has been a nightmare. Susan was no different on that. Uh, went to Susan's house, and her mom was a hoarder. So literally, you walked in the home, and you had to carve out a path in order to make it through the floor, you know, walk through the floor. Uh, if you were sitting on the sofa, you had to unload the sofa kick things out of the way in the floor so you could sit down, everything else. I mean, dishes piled, to, literally dishes piled to the ceiling, everything. And, uh, of course, I was a guy that, oh, I'll only see the positive. It's, it's, it's her mom, it's not her. It's her mom, it's not her. So uh, started dating Susan. And to be honest with you, she was, uh, she put it to me sexually, too. So it was, it was one of those, you know, kind of get hooked on that, you know. She made you. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Snapper make you smile. Oh, I, okay. I tell you, <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> yeah, it was something. And uh, so I ended up proposing to her, and we got married. And uh, before we got married, I had uh, I didn't have any money. You know, I was doing these small scams, but uh, not not any money. So I needed money to get married. So what I did was I had an eight hundred dollar Chevy Spectrum that I bought at a car auction. I remember those. Yep. So. Uh, I fake a car accident. Me and my first cousin, uh, I tell him I'm going to wreck the car and get you know claim coverage on it. And uh, his name was Ronnie. He was like, "I'll get in that with you." So what he does, because he, I mean, he's hardcore with this kind of stuff. And we, this entire side of the family, they were all scammers and fraudsters and everything. So Ronnie goes to the dentist that day, has a tooth pulled, tells the dentist not to stitch it, not to sew it, not to pack it, just pull the tooth. So here he is, he comes back, and he's bleeding out of the mouth. He's got blood on his shirt and everything else. We drive up in a head of a holler, because that's what you call them in eastern Kentucky, a holler. We drive up in a head of a holler, push the car over top of a hill. Then act like we walk down there, walk back up the hill, so we got the, you know, the, the weeds and dust and dirt all over us and everything. Then we walk out of the holler to somebody's house, call the police, and tell them we've wrecked. They take us to the hospital. Ronnie, of course, he's got. The, he says he, you know, busted a tooth out in the wreck. Everything else, I say I'm hurt, and the the scam was the insurance I had was for lost wages, so we could go to chiropractors every week, and they would pay you up to eight hundred dollars a month for lost wages. So that's how I got the money to get married, was at that point, and I got a job too. I got a job at friggin' Lexmark, man. You know, Lexmark printers. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I I would, uh, and here's how, I mean crazy stuff i would uh the job ran friday saturday sunday it was 14 hour shifts so what i would do is is thursday night i would drive from hazard to lexington kentucky two and a half hour drive i'd drive up there get there in time for work 
go to work for that 14 hours, come back out in the parking lot, sleep in the car until the next shift and do it like that. And that's what I did. I did that for about five months before we got married. And uh, the problem was, <laughs> like I said, I'm that guy that, uh, you know, I always have to prove my love. It's not enough to tell somebody. I always have to show it. So uh, I found out pretty quick. I didn't want to admit it to me to myself, but I found out pretty quick that Susan was a copy of her mother. And uh, no, no cleaning, no cooking. So I had to do all that. I was taking 18 hours in classes and still doing the Lexmark job. Something I had to give. Was she a collector too? She was not, but uh, I'm serious, dude. I would, uh, it was sad, Ken. I would, uh, before I'd go to work, we'd argue. So I'd always be late to work because she'd be screaming. Because she was homesick, she'd never been away from home. So it was an argument before I went to work. When I came home, I'd have to cook or clean because she didn't do any of that. Um, she wanted a dog, so I bought her a puppy. And um, she used to let the dog use the bathroom inside the house, wouldn't clean it up, anything else. Finally, she, she got, we lived on the second floor. She started letting the dog out on the, uh, on the outside porch. Well, the outside porch was wood. The dog would urinate or take, take a crap, so that stuff would go down on the neighbor down below. Ah. Yeah, and uh, that's the way it was, man. And um, I lived like that. I was, I was with Susan for, uh, for nine years of that. Nine years. Nine years. Nine years. No children, no talking about children. You know, I had, um, I'm 49, <laughs> and I've got that itch now to... Uh, I've uh, I've got that itch now to be a dad. The uh, when I got married and and through my uh, through all the crime, I was I was scared of a few things. I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to bring a kid into that environment. When I was a criminal, I didn't want to have a kid that would see me breaking the law. Then because of my mom, I was scared that I would be my mom. You know, that I might treat the child like my mom treated me. So, uh, no, I never, uh, that was never an option for me at that point. It's only been the, uh, probably the last year that I've wanted to. I am a believer <laughs> that you would be a good dad. However... <laughs> However, I'm 49. I, no, I, no. Well, yeah, you know, you'll, you'll be uh, about 70 years old when the child gets out of yeah, you know, out of college uh, on a walker going to ball games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm also a believer that it has been proven, just like science proves everything, <laughs> that we will never perfect the species. You know, that's a good point. That's yeah. a good. And I'll be honest with you, that's a lot of the thought process. You know, I'm sitting there going, you know, I could have a, I could have one hell of a smart kid. I'd be a great dad, bring that kid up right. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, being a father myself, uh, of course, my son's no longer with us. But, right, right. But when you have a child, raise them just any perfect way you think Right. No matter how perfect, no no matter how many books you read <laughs> and follow their instructions to the T, stick them in a church or or join join some other cult. I, you know, 
you're still rolling the dice. You are. <laughs> you are. You, you never, are. Uh, children are a liability. You yeah. never know what you're going to get. That's it. That's it. I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. Even if but, you live uh, by example. Yeah. And um, you know, I so I, you know, I'm married to Michelle now, as you know, and uh, yeah. you know, with 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 that, it was uh, she never wanted to have kids, so I didn't have to worry about that. And I, you know, I, when I married Michelle, I was a criminal. I was still a criminal. But now it's it's. I don't know if it's a legacy. I don't know what it is, but uh, yeah, I've got that itch, man. I've got that itch. I guess it's me trying to make up for all that lost time I wasted, you know, breaking the law and hurting people. That's what it is. You talk about love and wanting to um, to show love, and you also have mentioned to me about wanting to save people. Oh man! Now, that, I know that's a, that's a subject for another episode, but yeah, uh, uh, I can I can see you doing something good that will be rewarding for you, as rewarding as raising a child. I mean, you're right, and and, and you're right, you're right, and I, I I'm uh, I do a lot of good work to, these days. I do, and I've talked to you about my 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 big thing with personal relationships with women has always been finding that broken woman and trying to save her with the thought that if, you know, I, I guess it's a subconscious thought, now it's conscious, but it's the thought that if I save her, she'll love me completely. And, you know, I can love her and we'll have, you know, a great relationship. And if you look at my past, everyone except for Christy, except for that first girlfriend, there was something wrong that needed saving. And I stepped, you know, Susan was like that, uh, Elizabeth was like that, Michelle was like that to a degree. Every single one has been like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know, I, I don't know if I'll ever get past that. And that harkens back to my mom. I mean, she was, she was this broke person that my dad constantly tried to fix and everything else. And he never could, and he never got her love either because of that. Or at least, you know, he was never going to get her love. But, you know, I guess that, that, gets him imprinted on me at some point. <laughs> well, I've heard all my life from uh, relatives that I'm close to, and I'm not close to too many relatives right. at all, that, um, well, that is his mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've heard that before. Still, you know, <laughs> even though... That's a bad situation. It's, That's his mom. It's still your mother. Yeah. And I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean because I was never raised by my mother. There you go. I will tell you right now, that means that you're supposed to forgive any single thing that that parent does. And I don't. I used to believe that. I don't believe that bullshit at all anymore. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it took till I was 49 to get to that point, but I don't believe that bullshit at all anymore. All right, Change, changing the subject and, and going back to what you mentioned a while ago, you said you're still a criminal. Now, you'll always be a criminal. You're a re recovering criminal. I am. Uh, it's much like an alcoholic. Exactly. I am a recovering criminal. And, uh, you know, it's, it's with me. It's like an alcoholic, right? You, you, in order to stop being an alcoholic or an addict of anything, you have to get rid of people, places, and things. You are who you associate with. You do what you're around all these other things so you have to get rid of all that and i've been i've been pretty adamant about surrounding myself with healthy people about you know i've got law enforcement contacts across the planet these days 
I've got, uh, um, I do good work. I don't, the associations that I do have with criminals because of the work that I do, those associations are, are in conjunction with law enforcement or in conjunction with companies to try to figure out what criminals are doing in order to warn these companies about those criminal behaviors. So that's, that's what I do these days is that. And I've heard you mention when you're talking about speaking with some of your criminal associates. Oh, yeah. That you recommend, if they ask your advice, you recommend <laughs> that they get out of the situation. Well, that's the thing is, is criminals are very good. You know, cyber criminals, what they do is, is they read the news articles. They see how much money somebody's stolen. Like I used to steal $160,000 a week for 10 months out of every single year. So they read that, and then they, they forget about that, that end paragraph that says, I was on the United States Most Wanted list, arrested, sent to prison for seven and a half years because of that. Right. They don't pay attention to that stuff. So, you know, they'll come to me, and um, typically they want to know some information or me to give them pointers on how to stay safe or break a law or whatever. And my, my comment is, well, you don't stay safe because you're going to go to prison. The best thing you can do is get your ass in school get a cybersecurity certificate because, hey, it's a growing business. It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> You're right about that. And you know what they say, with the exception of one or two people, and I've been doing this for going on four years, with the exception of one or two people, the response is, why would I ever go to school and get a certificate when I'm making this amount of money doing this right now? So they don't even, they don't even pay attention to the consequence. They don't, they don't understand that when they get caught, and they will, when they get caught, feds come in, they seize everything. You lose family, you lose friends, you're in a six-by-nine cell every single day. You have to learn how to use the bathroom with other men staring at you. They don't understand that. They don't know the consequences, and that's not even the worst part. The worst part's when you get out of prison and you can't get a job. You don't have friends or family. Everyone looks at you like you're a pariah all of a sudden. That's what happens. And they, they don't understand that consequence. Nor do they care, and they, I was like that too. They don't care about their victims, man. You know, it took me years to understand what I was doing to victims. And now you feel uh, a lot of remorse. I am, uh, I was asked last night, I was uh, on Facebook Messenger and a friend of mine, she asked if I was, um, if I was happy with me. And I told her no. Now, the truth of that is, is I, I like the person that I am now. But the amount of guilt that I have over hurting people and stealing and lying and everything else like that, that eats at me every single day. I understand that, Brett, but I have a philosophy that it doesn't pay to have <laughs> regrets. It, regrets are non-productive. You can have your memories of things that you did good or did bad. And you've got to pick up right now and go forward and do the best you can to make Brett who he wants other people to see. Well, you know, and, and on one level, I understand that. I do. I, I do. And I'm trying to work toward that. I really am. And I think I'm making some progress. But, you know, <laughs> the list of crimes... And how I got involved in the cybercrime, Kim. That is, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, I was, uh, at one point I had joined the Mormon church looking for some sort of fulfillment or whatever, right? 
And uh, one of the head Mormons in Hazard, Kentucky, he ran a, a baseball card shop. He owned a baseball card shop. So I went to his store one day, and I saw some of the cards he had there, and I was like, man, those are some nice cards. So that night, I start casing the joint. Go over there at 2 o'clock in the morning about a week later, break in. Now, I had never broke into a place in my life, but break in one of those damn cards. Didn't know he had a silent alarm on the store, so I'm in the store. I go in through the back, tear a hole through the wall, go in through the back. I'm in the store stealing the cards when there's a big banging on the front door. Turns out the Hazard Kentucky Police Department, they got the alarm. They're banging on the door. I look outside. They're looking at me. I'm like, oh, shit. So I dive through the back. Now, the store's set on a riverfront, all right? I dive through the back as they're coming around the back. One of them grabs hold of my arm. I shake him off. I'm actually able to dive into the river and swim down the river as they're looking for me. They get the, they've got the cruisers out, the spotlights, and everything else. I ended up kind of tunneling into the bank of a river about a half mile down the, down the, down the river for the rest of the night. And that got away from that. That's one of the crimes I committed. Um, that's before I even got married, did that, right? And no one ever knew, knew I did that. Now, they're going to know now. Now, okay, let's go back to where you said you, you joined the Mormon church looking for <laughs> fulfillment. Now, you're you not, not looking for more women. Well, it could have been. I, I'll tell you what was bad. Uh, it was, uh, I, I joined the, uh, the, the Latter-day Saints. I was baptized. And uh, didn't really know anything about them, you know. I was just like, oh, okay, we'll try this. So uh, some friends started telling me, they were like, you know, uh, they, they think black people are the mark of Cain. And I'm like, nah. Then they're like, well, you know, they say the Garden of Eden is in Missouri. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to my, uh, uh, whatever you'd call him, the guy that was, you know, kind of tutoring me and all this stuff and everything. His name was Steve. He, he worked in the library at the university there. And I was like, uh, Steve, can I ask you something? And he comes over, and I was like, look, man, uh, black people, Mark of Cain? And he's like, well, you know, Brett. And I was like, hmm. I was like, Garden of Eden, Missouri? And he's like, well, you know, Brett, yeah. And I was like, stop right there. <laughs> I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm out. So that. My my tenure in the Mormons were, was very short lived. <laughs> now I'm I think what what I'm called or labeled now is a son of perdition. I'm not sure if that that applies to me, but I I knew someone that had been a Mormon and he had dropped out. He said they call me a son of perdition now. Well, so I guess that's what I am. I that that's what you are to them. Yeah. Now that's you're not that to you unless you believe right, that. Right. So right. And and I'll be honest with you. I, I love the Mormon people. I think the Latter Day Saints is they do good work. They're, they the members that I know are extremely friendly. Love them to death. They do nothing but good. It's just that I am not part of that belief system. So, <laughs> tell me now. You mentioned something about the Shriners. Did did you know that I was a Shriner? Oh no! Oh yeah! Oh oh jeez! Okay, so now sorry. I, I'm I'm not. <laughs> I have since. Uh, I'm not active. I they have, tried to get me to join them at one point. Well, you'd have to be uh, a Master Mason right. first, right? And you, nobody will ever ask you. To become a master mason, you have to ask them. Ah, ah. So, 
I, I can say, you know, I would like to see you become one, but I can't say. Will and you know, that's. Pr- I think that was how it was put on uh, to me. Was like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, and then and you, <laughs> I believe they've eliminated uh, some of the uh, other organizations that you have to uh, go through before you qualify to go into the Mystic All right. Shrine. Okay. All right. And uh, but anyway, I'm I'm not active. I haven't been active in in nearly thirty okay. years. Okay. But I was. Uh, I, I walked the hot sands at Almina Temple in Nashville. No kidding. Many, many years. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, back now. So how did I get involved with the Shriners? How did you get involved with the Shriners? <laughs> so my, my Lexmark job, I was so exhausted, it ended. I, I could not do it. One day I was supposed to go to work, and I was just so mentally exhausted from the cooking, the cleaning, the school, everything else. Could not. And quit. I, I just couldn't go to work. I was I was kind of in tears, everything else. So knew I had to work because Susan wasn't going to, <laughs> and uh, started looking through the newspaper and started. You know, I didn't know that in at University Towns. I was at Lexington with the University of Kentucky. I didn't know a lot of them just have a lot of telemarketing jobs, but found that out pretty quickly. First job I had was at a cemetery, setting appointments for cemetery salesmen. And the the, the script man, I, the guy, his name was John Dawson. He's like, "Have you had telemarketing experience?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> Brett, me, been there, done that. <laughs> been there, done that. So the script, it was Bluegrass Memorial Gardens, and I still remember that way that script that started out. What you'd do is you'd call in. I'd say I was calling you, and I'd say, Hi, is this Ken Allen? And you'd say, Yeah, and I'd say, This is Brett Johnson over here at Bluegrass Memorial Gardens. How are you doing today? I'm fine, Brett. Well, I'll tell you what, Ken. We've got this promotion going on, and I am pleased to tell you that we, that you, my friend, have been selected for a free grave space. <laughs> so we'd convince them they had won this grave space. The thing was is they had to be married. So the salesman would go out. You'd have to set the appointment when the husband and wife was there. So the salesman would go out. He'd sit between the husband and wife, and then he'd open up the map of grave spaces, and he'd point out the free grave space. And what, what happens is that free grave space is surrounded by other spaces that are already occupied. So you'd look at you'd look and say, okay, who gets the space? And you'd actually give them a space. You'd say, who gets a space? And whichever one spoke up saying, well, where's my spouse going to be? At that point is when the sale comes in. So, and depending on who it was, so you'd always have one of the spouses that would be kind of, you know, not wanting to do it. So you'd open up the page. So say it was the wife not wanting to do it. You'd open up the page, and there would be a, a picture of a child, you know, holding the hand of the father standing over top of the mother's grave. Or if the father was was the one that was backing down on it, you'd open up another page, and there would be a picture of the child holding the hand of the mother standing over the father's grave. <laughs> and you'd try to sell it. Well, I, I try. I was. I mean, I was booking those appointments like it was going out of style, so much that the director of the cemetery. He tries to. He calls me in one night and he tries to hire me as a salesman. He was like, you know, Brett, you're great. Why don't you come over and be a salesman? You'll make all kinds of money. This college bullshit that you're going through, you know, you don't want to go to college. I didn't know that at the time, but he was right. And I was like, John, nope, I'm going to school. I'll keep doing telemarketing. Well, he fires me the next day. <laughs> so back to the one ads. Next job I had was the uh, Lexington Diners Club. It was a card that right, uh, that yeah. you sell for buy one get one free meals. So I started doing that and found out where they had the cards. So one night, what do I do? I do that breaking and entering shit. 
I go in, break into their office, steal like 400 of the cards, go home, start doing my own telemarketing, selling the cards. They found out pretty quick about that, got a warrant for me. I didn't go to jail, but I got a, a, vert, you know, a, a conviction on that. So that job ended. And then, my friend, is the Shriners Club. So the Shriners, they were advertising for telemarketing. I went in, and it was uh, selling the circus tickets at $6 a piece. I got $2 on every ticket that I'd sell. And I sold those like they were going out of style. You know, two to $300 profit a day was what I was bringing in. And it lasted great until the circus hit town. And then you don't have a job doing the Shriners for another, you know, six months. Right. So <laughs> what they did was it was a telemarketing firm that had that contract. When the Shriners ended, they started with the Kiwanis Club. And that they were selling food baskets for the local food bank at $40 a piece. And the telemarketers would get $10 for every basket that they sold. Well, I wasn't making any money. No one wanted to, to help homeless people. And we're talking about $40 versus 6 Yeah. Yeah, much harder sell. Much harder. So what did I do? I'm like, you know, I'm only selling, you know, three, four of these things a day. So I could either get $40 a day if I'm selling four, if I, or if I opened up my own Kiwanis Club... I could keep all 40 and make $160 a day. <laughs> so I go down to the bank, open up a bank account, and Golden Kiwanis was the name of the one that I set up. Open a bank account in that name. Then I start printing off my own little you know, receipts and everything, and I steal their phone list and start calling all their, their, you know, their, their donors, saying, hey, this is Brett Johnson with the Golden Kiwanis Club. We're selling food, food baskets this week for the homeless. You know we need to help those homeless people. Would you like to donate? So I'd go around every day at the, of an evening and pick up, uh, you know, pick up the the money. Well, what happened was, because I was an idiot, I did all this under my name. What happened was, is I go to Versailles, Kentucky one day, go up on a porch, the first porch I walked up on, knock on the door, a guy steps outside, and I'm like, hey, I'm Brett Johnson with the Golden Kiwanis Club. Uh, you said you were, I'm supposed to come by and pick up a check for $40. You said you were going to buy a food basket. And he looks at me, he's like, you're Brett Johnson. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, uh, I forgot what his name was, but he said, I'm with the Versailles Police Department. And we've checked, you're not with any Kiwanis Club. And I'm like, well, I sure am. He's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not even going to talk to you about it. I'm leaving. So I get in the car, scared to death, start driving down the road, make it about a half mile, and get arrested. And I ended up serving because it was... Um, Something to do with false pretenses was the actual charge. But I served uh, three months in the county jail at that point. And, uh, of course, Susan and I, we, we lost our apartment that was in Lexington, Kentucky. I served my three months, get out, and we had to move in with Susan's parents. We ended up sleeping in the living room floor. And that, my friend, is the whole entry into cybercrime right there. <laughs> well, tell me... You're sleeping in the in the floor. How how did cybercrime get tied in with that? Now, so I got out in January. Susan's dad. Susan had two brothers and a sister. Now they were all younger than Susan. All right, and I married at 24. Susan was 19. So all the kids were still at the house. Susan's dad had bought the children for Christmas a computer. So. <laughs> Ah. They were hooked up to the internet, and I'm that guy that always looks for how to make money. No idea how to really do it, but my cousin, 
he had his own business at that point. Ronnie, the guy with a broken tooth, he had his uh, he had his own business selling satellite systems. It was eighteen inch RCA systems. He had that business, and he was breaking the law doing that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I went over to his shop one day, and he had copies of Adobe Photoshop and Microsoft Office. Well, I stole those from him. At the same time, I, I had enough money scrounged up from working as, as, as a logging, at lo- doing some logging, that I could afford a CD recorder. So I started recording you know, pirated copies of Adobe Photoshop, Microsoft Office, and I was selling those on the precursor of Craigslist. Back then it was called Classifieds 2000. So <laughs> That's right. Started selling those for $30, $30 or $40 a pop. And I would include the crack to the to the software, so it turned it into the full version. And what happened was, is um, I sold. I mean, I sold a lot of those because I advertised it as a full version. And uh, people would complain, and I would get letters from back then. It was called the BSA, the Business Software Administration, telling me to cease and desist. Well, I, I kind of took those letters. I didn't know that. I didn't know they, whether they would do anything or not. But I kind of took them serious. So I was like, okay, got to stop this. So what I did was is I moved over into pirating or selling pirated video games, which much cheaper cost, but a whole lot more more video games being sold than pirated software at that point. So I started doing that. That led into, in order to play the video games, you had to uh, have a mod chip in the video game system, whether it be the Dreamcast or the, uh, or the PlayStation. You had to have install mod chips. So I started doing that. Ended up one day at EB Games, you know, the big games retailer. Oh, yeah. Ended up in EB Games talking to the salesman there, the manager. He hears me talking, and he was like, "Uh, you've got mod chips? And I'm like, yeah. So he was like, "Uh, could you install mod chips for some of our customers if they wanted them? And I was like, dude, I can do whatever. I don't mind a bit. So he was like, huh. So I ended up, every system that came out of EB Games in Lexington, Kentucky, they would ask the customers, do you want a mod chip? And any that said yes, I would install the thing for $50 a pop. So <laughs> give the store $25, I'd take $25 and everyone was happy. Well, what happens is, is with me starting to know what mod chips are and everything, at the same time, I'm like, we've got a cable box at the house. I'm like, I didn't want to pay for pay-per-view or all the, you know, HBO and all that. So I was like, can you put a mod chip in a cable box? Turns out you can. <laughs> So I started I started mod chipping cable boxes. That led over into <laughs> that led over into the satellite DSS systems, the cards. So you could program the cards, turn on three hundred channels all of a sudden. Yep. About that same time, I ended up finding eBay, and that was really the first real what I consider the first real cybercrime that I committed right there, and and found eBay and fell in love with it. I mean I. I had never seen anything like that, and I would I would just go through and see what all was being sold. You know, I was hooked on it every single day, surfing it, and I was like, man, there's got to be some way to make money on this damn thing. Yeah. So, no idea how, and I talk about this in my speeches a lot, but uh, I didn't have a clue how to make money. Bill O'Reilly, he was the one that clued me in on it, <laughs> and uh, he, you know, he used to host Inside Edition. Oh yeah. <laughs> before he before he moved over to Fox News. And they got fired from Fox News. <laughs> so he was on Inside Edition. And back then, he was, you know, he was this kind of huckster guy. And he was talking about Beanie Babies. And they were talking about Peanut, the Royal Blue Elephant. <laughs> I remember yep. that. $1,500 is what that little guy sold for on eBay. 
So I'm sitting there watching the show one night, and I'm like, you know, I need to find me a peanut. <laughs> so skipped class the next day. Went around to all the Hallmark stores looking at all those little Thai beanie babies. No peanuts to be found. It, it, t- I was naive. I, I thought maybe I could find one there. No, no, they were all being sold on eBay. But what they did was is for $8, you could buy a gray beanie baby elephant, the same damn elephant, except it was gray and it had a different name tag on it. <laughs> well, on eBay, of course, you can buy these things that, you know, they have new with tags or new without tags. So I'm sitting there going, well, I can just sell the damn thing new without tags and dye it. So I buy, buy, I buy, that, damn, I buy that damn gray elephant for $8.00. Stop by Kroger on the way home. I'm going down the writ aisle to find the blue dye. All right, I'm like, okay, royal blue. We'll try that. So I buy like two packs of this royal blue dye, get a mop bucket, fill it up with hot water, put the dye in there, put the Beanie Baby in there. Well, of course, the Beanie Baby's floating to the top of the water. I'm like, well, shit, man. So I'm, I'm sitting there with a stick, stuffing it down in the water, you know, trying try to get it dyed, pulling it out, and it's, it's, it's just not holding. Because, I, you know, I didn't do home ec. I didn't know that polyester doesn't hold dye. No, polyester does so, not hold dye. <laughs> look, it looks like it's got the mange every time you get it out of the water. <laughs> so I'm like, well, shit, I got to do something. So I get it out and let it air dry and everything else. And, I mean, it's looking mangy. It's looking mangy, man. So I'm, I'm like, okay, how do I make money on this? So I get online. Back then you had Metacrawler, and I think Google was just coming online at that point. So I start looking for pictures of Peanut the Royal Blue Elephant. Find a picture of the real thing. Post it on eBay. Saying that's the one that I've got. There was a woman, I think she was from Clinton, Tennessee or something like that. She ended up winning the bid. And uh, I was already kind of a social engineer because of of the childhood I had. I had to be able to read the adults and everything. So as soon as she wins the bid, or how much money? Oh, fifteen hundred. Fifteen. Yeah, she bid fifteen hundred on that. So um, as soon as she wins the bid, I sent her a note, you know, an email. That email said, you know, hey, uh, I appreciate you winning the bid. You're going to love the animal, but the problem is, is that you and I have never done any business together. I don't even know if I can trust you. You know, I could send you this thing, and I may not get my money. So what I need you to do is send me a U.S. Postal Money Order. When that clears, I'll send you your elephant. She believed that. So she sent the U.S. Postal Money Order, and the reason I wanted that sent, I could actually go to the post office and cash that money order. Right. So um, cash the money order out, and I sent her that blue-ish animal. <laughs> and uh, she gets it. I get a phone call immediately because I'm doing all this stuff under my real name. So I get a phone call immediately. I did not order this. And I was a smart ass man. I was like, lady, you ordered a blue elephant. I sent you a blue-ish elephant. What do you want me to do? So she started, I'll call the police and everything else. And I was like, you know, you've got a blue elephant. I've got the receipt where I sent you the, 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 the animal. I don't know what happened in transit, but that's what you've got. So she would keep calling and calling and calling, and I'd, I'd either not answer the phone or I'd say that, that same thing over. You know, I've got the receipt. I sent The animal that I sent out was Peanut, the royal blue. It was blue when I sent it. I don't know what you've done or what you've got now. That right there is where I learned the first lesson of cybercrime. And that lesson is if you delay a victim long enough, 
just keep putting them off. A lot of them, they, they get so exasperated, they throw their hands up in the air, walk away, and you never hear from them again. And the big thing, very few ever complain to law enforcement. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anglerfish. I appreciate it. If you like it, please subscribe and drop me a line saying hello. Hello is always good. You can reach me direct at brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. That's brett, B-R-E-T-T, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at anglerfish, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H.com. Please tell your friends about us, rate and review the Anglerfish podcast wherever you can. In the next few weeks, we'll be launching season two of Anglerfish, which will examine the darkest corners of our online lives and what you need to do to remain safe. Please email me questions, comments, concerns, personal stories, and any topics you might like to hear discussed. That's brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Brett Johnson. Stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful, time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.